Hello, and thank you for joining Bumble's conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I will now hand the conference over to Cheryl Valenzuela, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you for joining us to discuss Bumble's second quarter financial results. With me today are Whitney Wolf Hurd, Founder and CEO, Tarek Shockett, President, and Anu Subramanian, CFO of Bumble. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that certain statements made on this call today are forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are subject to various risks and uncertainties and reflect our current expectations based on our beliefs, assumptions, and information currently available to us. Although we believe these expectations are reasonable, we undertake no obligation to revise any statement to reflect changes that occur after this call. Descriptions of factors and risks that could cause actual results to differ materially from these forward-looking statements are discussed in more detail in our earnings press release and filings with the SEC, including our annual report on Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2022, and our subsequent periodic filings. During the call, we also refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP measures should be considered in addition to and not as a substitute for or in isolation from our GAAP results. Reconciliations to the most comparable GAAP measures are available in today's earnings press release, which is available on the Investor Relations section of our website at ir.bumble.com. And with that, I'll turn it over to Whitney. Thank you, Cheryl, and good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining our call today. Our second quarter results demonstrate the strength of our apps and our solid execution on our goals for the year. We delivered a strong quarter with better-than-expected revenue growth, accelerating paying users, and robust profitability. Total Bumble Inc. revenue of $260 million was up 18% year-over-year, driven by Bumble app revenue growth of 23%. Our total paying users increased 20% to reach $3.6 million, and adjusted EBITDA was $67 million, representing a 26% margin. With loneliness on the rise globally to the point that it's been declared an epidemic in the U.S., there is considerable room for each of our apps to grow and have significant impact on people's lives. We have a well-constructed portfolio of apps to bring people closer together. Within dating, we have an extensive global footprint where we have at least one top three app by download share in over 50 countries. Our focus is on continuing to drive market share gains opening additional new markets, and driving further depth of engagement and payer penetration. Let me provide an update on each of our apps. I'll start with Bumble App. Q2 revenue grew 23% to $208 million, driven by continued momentum in paying users. From Q1 to Q2, we added 139,000 payers, a significant acceleration from the 98,000 net ads we reported last quarter. The growth in payers was fueled by strength in top-of-funnel metrics including new and re-engaged users, reflecting the overall health of Bumble's ecosystem and our continued payer optimization efforts. As we've discussed previously, Bumble App's business model is built around generating durable growth. We focus on building preference, particularly with women, for our brand and our product, which in turn drives strong word of mouth, downloads, and high engagement. This delivers consistent growth quarter after quarter and is sustainable as we scale. The results are clear. Our core markets continue to grow, fueled both by new registrations and re-engaged users. Our newer markets in Western and Southern Europe 
and key markets in Latin America also continue to perform well. On the product side, I'm proud of how well our team is advancing our vision and roadmap. Let me begin by updating you on some of the initiatives we've discussed previously. First, compliments. Our message before match feature continues to ramp in both usage and revenue contribution. Its unique value proposition has landed well with early adopters. This feature is driving improved brand perception and engagement as compliment recipients are 70% more likely to get a match. We're continuing to invest in the experience to drive greater awareness and adoption. We are also excited with the traction of best fees, our new feature that leverages the power of our new AI algorithm to curate match recommendations for users. We were pleased with our initial test and decided in mid-Q2 to accelerate our rollout. Best Bees was added to our Bumble Premium subscription tier in late May and is now available worldwide. Early indicators have been positive, and after bundling Best Bees into Bumble Premium, we have seen uplift in both new subscribers and renewals. We also see Best Bees improving chat initiation rates. Best Bees also illustrates the practical and powerful ways we are employing AI to improve our customer experience. As I said last quarter, while AI is already core to several initiatives, including the recommendation and personalization experience, as well as our safety efforts, we are now exploring opportunities to bring generative AI into our users' experience. A few examples, providing interactive advice on improving and curating profiles, enhancing the relevancy and compatibility of matches, and preventing toxic behavior. Overall, Gen AI will be a catalyst in reducing friction and pain points along the dating journey. At the start of the year, I talked about the foundational engineering work we've done that enables us to be more flexible with our subscription and consumable offerings. Bumble has successfully grown revenue primarily through two subscription tiers, Bumble Boost and Bumble Premium, with the majority of our paying users on the higher price tier. Two years since the introduction of Premium, as we look at the needs of our users on our service, it is clear that there are opportunities to further expand our subscription offerings on both ends of the pricing spectrum. We are continuing to test a base subscription tier to create a differentiated experience and more affordable offering that will appeal to Gen Z members. Based on our high-quality user base, we have conviction that there is also demand for a higher-priced product above Bumble Premium. We believe this higher tier will appeal and provide value to existing Bumble members with more serious dating intent. We expect this will also resonate with singles who are not currently using dating apps because they desire more curated experiences. We will start testing this product later this year. Bumble's product momentum is supported by marketing that showcases our brand and mission. According to Morning Consult, Bumble continues to retain the top net promoter score among dating apps for women in the U.S., and this favorable brand awareness translates into valuable customer acquisition opportunities and makes us a highly sought-out marketing partner. I'd like to highlight a couple recent examples of our marketing team's great work. In late June, we launched Summer of Kindness, our global integrated marketing campaign built around our feature launch of compliments. The campaign centers around the power of kindness, which is engineered into the Bumble app. To highlight this, we rolled out a film called Kindness is Sexy, as well as outdoor ads, partnerships, and influencer campaigns, spreading compliments around key cities. 
Last month, we also kicked off a category-exclusive partnership with Barbie, the worldwide number one movie of the summer via a 360 global co-marketing campaign where we encouraged users to have the best day ever by receiving motivation from the film's many Barbie and Ken characters to send compliments on Bumble. We were the only dating app to garner a partnership with Barbie, which is another great example of our strong and differentiated brand. Feedback for both of these launches has been overwhelmingly positive, and I am proud of how well they represent Bumble's mission and values. Now turning to Badoo. Badoo app and other revenue totaled $52 million in Q2, up 2% year-over-year. This is the first quarter of year-on-year growth for Badoo since the first half of 2021. I'm excited that Badoo's turnaround plan is having the desired impact, and the business is on a good path to stabilization. On the product side, we've been modernizing the app, minimizing friction in the user experience, and providing our members with new ways to interact that are more in tune with the post-pandemic environment. These efforts have begun to bear fruit. With strong new user growth in most of our markets, alongside improvement in engagement trends, monetization continues to improve as well, with sequential paying user net ads of 34000 and several of Badoo's top markets returning to positive revenue and payer growth this quarter. We plan to build on this momentum in the second half with a brand refresh and continued innovation on its core discovery mechanics to help people instantly connect with the most relevant matches for them. Fruits also continues to scale. It launched in the UK, a meaningful first step in expanding beyond its base of French-speaking markets. Early results have been promising, particularly with Gen Z adoption and engagement, and we plan to introduce Fruits in more markets in the coming months. A key part of our broader growth strategy is to strengthen the ecosystem of connections whether it's new relationships, established couples, or friendships. Part of my original vision for Bumble has always been building relationships beyond dating. We believe there is tremendous opportunity in this expansion, and we recently took two important steps towards building out that vision. First, we acquired Official, an app that strengthens existing relationships by providing date ideas, mood check-ins, and other features for couples. Official is available in 45 countries and has been downloaded more than 1 million times since it was launched. Official helps relationships that start on Bumble, Badoo, Fruits, or anywhere else maximize their full potential. This opportunity can increase the lifetime value of our customers and open up broader lifestyle business adjacencies. Second, I'm thrilled to announce that our new and standalone BFF app, Bumble for Friends, is now live in several countries, including the U.S. The app is built to create a new way for people to discover meaningful, kind, and fun friendships in their local area. It maintains what people have loved about BFF and adds a new, easier way to plan group activities. We are launching at an opportune time, with more people open to making friends online than ever before. In a recent Bumble for Friends survey, two-thirds of Gen Z respondents shared that making new friends online lessened their loneliness, and we are uniquely positioned to make a difference in this space. We have seen strong early results with the new app. Gen Z engagement is a particular standout. By the end of Q2, our youngest BFF users were spending 34% more time per week in the app 
compared with the equivalent DFS mode cohort. Over the next several quarters, we'll continue to invest into the experience based on member feedback. We'll also begin testing several paths for monetization, although we don't expect material revenue contribution this year as we prioritize the user experience. In summary, it has been a productive and rewarding first half of the year. As a company, we have been very customer-centric, nimble, and decisive. We have achieved substantial progress on the product front, we are executing well, and we are continuing to deliver on our strategic priorities. Our strong first half positions us well to achieve our goals across our growing family of apps for the balance of the year and into 2024. Before I conclude, I would like to take a moment to thank Tarek for all of his contributions to the company. He has been a great leader, and we wish him the best in his future endeavors. Thank you, Tarek. And of course, deep gratitude and thanks, as always, to Team Bumble for their unwavering commitment and hard work in support of our mission, and to our customers, partners, and investors for their continued trust and support. And with that, I will turn it over to Anu for a discussion of our financial results and outlook. Thank you. Thank you, Whitney, and good afternoon, everyone. Our second quarter results demonstrate the unique appeal of our app and the strong execution of our team. Total revenue growth was robust, driven by product initiatives and international expansion at Bumble App and continued progress towards stabilization of Purdue. On the expense side, we continue to operate with discipline around spend, driving strong free cash flow while investing in the long-term strength of our app. I'll walk you through our second quarter results before turning to our outlook for Q3 and full year 2023. Unlisted otherwise, all comparisons on a year-over-year basis. Total Bumble Inc. revenue in Q2 was $260 million, up 18% year-over-year and above our outlook. Total paying users reached $3.6 million, up 20%, with both Bumble and Badoo payers showing sequential and year-over-year growth. Total RP pool was $23.23, down 1%. Revenue from Bumble App was $208 million, up 23%. Bumble App revenue growth was primarily driven by a 28% increase in paying users to $2.5 million. On a sequential basis, we added 139,000 paying users in Q2. Paying user growth was driven by strength in active users and solid improvements in payer penetration. Bumble App's RP pool was $28.21, down 3% year-over-year, and up 1% sequentially. The year-over-year decline was primarily driven by geographic mix shift. Now moving on to Badoo App and Other. Badoo App and Other revenue was $52 million, up 2% year-over-year. Badoo App and Other paying users, excluding fruits, grew 7% to $1.2 million. On a sequential basis, paying users grew 34000 in Q2. Badoo App and other RP pool, excluding fruits, declined 5% to $12.83, primarily due to pricing optimizations and geographic mix shift. Turning now to expenses, we continue to operate with discipline and efficiency. While we are focused on investing in our apps to bring our brands to market around the world, we are also managing incremental spending and headcount carefully and we remain committed to expanding margins for this fiscal year and beyond. Total gap costs and expenses were $239 million for the quarter. 
on a non-GAAP basis, excluding stock-based compensation and other non-cash or one-time items, our total non-GAAP costs and expenses were $193 million, up 17%. Cost of revenue was $76 million and grew 25%. As a percentage of revenue, cost of revenue was 29% versus 28% in the year-ago period. We have now largely lapsed our compliance with the Google Play Store mandate, which began in April 2022. Sales and marketing expenses grew 12% to $64 million. This represents 25% of revenue versus 26% in the year-ago period. We remain diligent in our allocation of marketing spend and continue to see opportunities for leverage, in particular from our brand marketing piece. G&A expenses were $29 million or 11% of revenue compared to $29 million or 13% of revenue last year. Product development expenses were $24 million or 9% of revenue versus $17 million or 8% in the year-ago period. Investment in product and technology is a critical driver of our growth, but we maintain a high bar for net headcount additions. Q2 GAAP net earnings were $9 million compared to net loss of $5 million in the year-ago period. Q2 adjusted EBITDA was $67 million, up 23% and above the high end of our outlook range, and represented a 26% adjusted EBITDA margin. Now turning to the balance sheet. Our cash position remains strong as we drove free cash flow of $40 million in Q2. We ended the quarter with a cash and cash equivalent balance of $381 million. Our total debt position was $623 million, of which just $6 million is due over the next 12 months. Our strong cash flow has enabled us to return excess capital to shareholders. Last quarter, we announced that our board authorized $150 million share repurchase program, and in Q2, we repurchased 1.3 million shares for a total of 21 million. Now, moving on to our financial outlook for Q3 and full year 2023, we are pleased with the results we achieved in the first half of the year and remain confident in our ability to deliver within the previous full year outlook ranges for revenue and adjusted EBITDA. For Q3, we expect the following. Total revenue between $274 million and $280 million, representing a growth rate of 19% at the midpoint of the range. We expect Bumble App revenue to be between $221 million and $225 million, representing a growth rate between 22% and 25%. Our Bumble App revenue outlook includes expectations for sequential net ads of approximately $140,000 to $150,000 in Q3. We are pleased with the turnaround we have seen with respect to Badoo in the past quarter. We expect Badoo sequential net ads to be slightly positive in Q3, similar to Q2 levels. We estimate adjusted EBITDA will be between 71 million and 73 million, representing 26% at the midpoint of the range. With the first half behind us, we are now narrowing our outlook for full year 2023. We estimate total Bumble Inc. revenue of between $1.055 billion and $1.072 billion, representing a growth rate of 17% to 19%. We expect Bumble App revenue to be between $852 million and $863 million, representing a growth rate between 23% and 24%. 
Our Bumble app revenue outlook includes expectations for full year net ads of approximately 510,000 to 525,000. For adjusted EBITDA, we maintain our expectation of at least 100 basis points of year-over-year margin expansion. In closing, we believe our business remains as strong as ever, and we continue to see momentum across our app. The authentic focus on kind connections, which is a hallmark of our offerings, differentiates us in the marketplace and is demonstrated in our financial results. Our team is operating with discipline and purpose to deliver value for our users while capturing the tremendous opportunity that we envision for our brand. Thank you for your continued support. And with that operator, we can open it up for Q&A. As a reminder, to ask a question, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And we'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question will come from the line of Alexandra Steiger with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you for taking my questions. Uh, so maybe one for Whitney and one for Anu. Given your recent acquisition of Official and the launch of Bumble for Friends, could you dive a little deeper into your long-term vision of Bumble evolving into an ecosystem of love and what that could mean in terms of like future payer growth, conversion opportunities, and retention dynamics? And then for a new, I know it's too early to talk about 24, but how should we think about kind of like a normalized growth rate beyond 23? Thank you so much. Yeah, hi, I'll start. Thank you so much for the question. So as we've said from day one, Bumble has always been about kind connections at large. We obviously put a huge focus on romantic relationships and dating. But when you look at a person's life of relationships, dating is just one part of that. And we really want to be there with, with someone on their entire relationship journey. And so if you really look at this relationship spectrum, we want to be with you not just when you meet your partner, but then as you go off of the dating app and you then have a new relationship, we want to stay with you through that whole journey. And when you look at these relationships from a romantic lens, we're just talking about official right now, they're cyclical. Most of these relationships in your 20s and your 30s and even beyond, they don't last forever always. And so we're with you when you find love and then as you build that relationship together, and then it really does turn into a cycle to come back into the dating ecosystem, whether that be Bumble or Badoo or... Great, thank you. So I, I'm not entirely sure where we dropped, but just to reiterate, and I'll keep this brief, you know, our, our lives are made up of multiple relationships, and Bumble has done a phenomenal job of really... Um, integrating kinder connections and a safer ecosystem into to people's love lives. But what we have seen is extraordinary demand for what Bumble offers as a brand, as an ecosystem, as, as a product in the friendship category. And we have been hard at work to really launch a standalone product. And how we see this really um, building LTV and, and really retaining customers over the long term is you might find something romantic, and then you then you move to official, and then you're not in the, in in the market for love, but you are in the market for friendship and community because you've moved to new city with that new relationship that you've just started, and so we are really here to help people find all components of their relationships, and we really believe that over the long term we can be the company 
for love. And that does not mean just romantic love. That means keeping all of your relationships healthy and equitable. We do believe that there is a lot of opportunity to extend the LTV, as I said, of the customer journey and to really keep people engaged with our brand and our family of products over the long term versus just having them for a short period of time as they seek a romantic partner. So this is really the long-term horizon, and uh, we're really excited about what we're seeing in Bumble for Friends so far. Yeah, and um, and Alex, uh, to your question about what does this mean uh, for us in terms of 2024, you're right. I think it's a little bit early to be talking about what growth rates look like. What I will say, though, is you know we're very excited about the fact that we have a very well-diversified portfolio. Um, obviously, within dating, we have Bumble, um, Badoo, which is doing really well now, Bumble's, you know, continuing to, to have momentum, and Fruits is now also starting to, to launch in many countries. Um, BFF is going to be exciting for us next year, and now, you know, we have official in the, in the mix as well. So we're excited about what this means for us uh, in the coming years. Obviously, we'll provide more information uh, in the coming quarters about what that means in terms of actual growth rates, et cetera. Great, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Egal Arunian with Citigroup. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I, I want to maybe focus on uh, the comments, Winnie, around expanding the subscription offering to higher tier and lower tier. Maybe um, get you to expand on that a little bit. Um, I think on the lower tier, it, it might be similar to what you've talked about with, uh, with, with Gen Z and the college audience. Um, and then maybe a little bit more on the higher tier, um, what your expectations are there and what people are, are, are looking for from, from that category. Yeah, thank you so much for the question. So we really look at monetization as a barbell, right? And if you look at the current offering, we really are primarily these two subscription offerings of, of boost and premium. But when you look at the very wide variety of customers, and, and user bases that we have, we really want to ensure that we are um, providing offerings that really cater to their, their unique needs. And these customers are not all just looking for one tier or one offering. And so let's start with um, the lower price tier, and then we'll move to the higher price tier. The lower price tier is really about building an experience that's extremely native for particularly Gen Z, a way for them to engage more ephemerally, um, in a way that they can they can kind of decorate themselves, if you will, they can express themselves in new ways, but at a lower price point, because if you think about Gen Z, not everyone has, you know, disposable income at that time. And then if you move to the higher tier, um, we are hearing consistent feedback from, you know, I would say a wide range of customer segments, in fact, that are looking for more serious dating. Um, they're looking for something that they'd be very willing to pay uh, a far higher price for. They feel that the relative value of, you know, 40 or $50 a month for their special someone feels exceptionally low. I mean, if you think about it, our high tier currently, our, our higher tier uh, Bumble Premium, is really the cost of a couple drinks at, at any local bar. And so, when you really think about the offering that we can build um, at a more premium uh, level, not just from a price point, but what we can deliver at, at, in a curated um, and an exceptional way for this audience, we see that there's a lot of runway to expand there. So 
Um, all to say, you know, this is currently um, in motion, and we hope to have updates by the end of the year. Okay, thanks. And maybe just a follow-up. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the, the, the ecosystem um, idea and keeping people in the, in the ecosystem. You guys talked a little bit about um, leverage and, and, and brand marketing and, you know, your key competitors out there spending a little bit more on marketing. Um, within this new strategy, can you talk a little bit about how, um, you know, the, how you expect to kind of build a marketing message around um, products outside of the core traditional dating use case and what that might look like? Thanks. Yeah, of course. Thanks. So we actually believe that there's strong, uh, you know, benefit to the dating category, even when we go out and start to market Bumble for Friends. I'll just give you a very quick example. We hear time and time again that people that think they're not interested in dating but are interested in finding friends, they're joining Bumble for Friends with no intention to date. They then end up on Bumble for Friends. They change their mind very shortly after, and now they're already in the Bumble ecosystem. So it is a natural thing for them to choose Bumble dating um, as just a tail to them being in the friendship ecosystem. As we think about marketing more generally, and we'll kind of start at the Bumble app level, we have such a differentiated brand. It's extremely unique and it's distinguished. It's particularly a favorite um, among women and, and Gen Z. And we really take pride in very strategic marketing efforts. You know, a lot of our marketing is friend-to-friend, it's organic, and when we do a marketing campaign, it's all integrated around products. So I'll use a quick example. This summer, we've rolled out Summer of Kindness. It's not a disjointed marketing campaign with no relevance to the product. It was actually to promote the feature that we built, Compliments. And so what we're saying time and time again, that even though our peers might be spending uh, in higher levels, it is really not, um, A, changing our course. It's not, it's not throwing us off course or, or, you know, making us change the way we think about things. And, B, it's really not having the negative impact that someone might expect. And so we're, we're, we take a lot of pride in the way that we continue to market. Great. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from the line of Shweta Kajuria with Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Okay. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, the first one's on compliments and besties and the potential impact. So just uh, could you please frame the magnitude of the impact that, uh, it, it, to, to the extent you can, that's baked into the guidance and then how we should be thinking about it next year. And then in terms of the margin expansion, um, uh, under your comments, uh, I just want to double click on that, um, your, your confidence in reiterating this year's guide, but also, uh, in, in your, um, your targeting ongoing margin expansion. It sounds like that's how you're managing the, your business. So, uh, for years ahead. So could you please talk about that as well? How you think about it? And that's it. Thank you. Yeah, great. Thanks, Shweta, for the question. So, in terms of compliments and best piece, I think, you know, I'll sort of go back to what we said at the beginning of the year, right? We, the way we think about what's included in our revenue guide is obviously we, we, we look at the data coming out of testing for all of these products, and then depending on how they land, depending on how they are doing um, as we globally roll them out, we make reasonable assumptions about what these would look like. Um, compliments is pacing to what, you know, we had hoped uh, it would do at the beginning of the year. 
Um, so, you know, we haven't really changed anything in terms of our assumptions around what that means for our um, revenue guide for the full year. Best Piece is an interesting one. If you remember, when we first launched Best Piece, we had said we hadn't fully figured out whether we wanted to have it um, be a standalone consumable product or have it be a subscription product. One of the things that, you know, we noticed after we rolled it out was it was actually leading to uh, really good conversion rates, our engagement rates were going up. So we made the decision to actually move Best Piece as a feature in our premium tier, and we've seen increase in uh, people's adoption of the premium tier as a result of that. So that's definitely been a driver of payers for us um, this quarter as well. So as we continue to to optimize this over the course of this year and next year, I think you know you'll see us continue to ramp up contribution for both of these products and for some of the other ones that Whitney talked about. Um, in terms of margins, you're right. I think we've, we've consistently been saying this. Our goal is uh, to continue to expand, expand margins, um, both in the, in the short term as well as in the medium term. Uh, obviously, our second quarter results um, show that we are able to get the revenue growth that we want to um, while still, you know, being very, very efficient with our spend. You know, we came in higher than what we had expected from an EBITDA perspective uh, because we just, you know, we were able to find leverage in areas of marketing spend, and we just didn't feel like we needed to, to spend into um, into the, the user growth that we were seeing. So that's, that's great news for us. I think you'll see us continue to be uh, diligent in how we think about spend for the rest of the year. You know, we would always want the optionality to spend if we felt like that really positioned as well for growth into Q1. But again, if we didn't feel like the ROI was there, we will, um, you know, be very efficient and diligent about dropping it to the bottom line. So again, I think it's a, it's the same theme that you, you hear us talk about. Nothing has um, changed in terms of how we think about it. Your next question comes from the line of Corey Carpenter with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, it looks like you increased prices on certain Bumble app offerings in recent months. Could you just talk about the rationale and the type of response you're seeing from users? And then a new, um, could you explain on the trends you're seeing that led you to raise your Bumble app net ad guide by 40,000 at the midpoint? Thank you. Yeah, sure, Corey. Um, I can take a stab at both of those. So, so in terms of pricing, right, I think what's important to understand is, you know, we have a very sophisticated pricing architecture that we operate around. And, I, and the goals that our pricing team have are not just to increase prices in every market, but it's really to optimize for the value that we are offering our users. And this is something that isn't, this isn't the first time we're doing this. This is something that we've been doing um, for a long time, and it's a continuous exercise we undertake in um, every market that we are in as we expand, and, as, and we also do this as we bring new products and features to market. We are constantly optimizing in making sure that our pricing looks right. So effectively, that means that in some markets, we increase prices, and, you know, we may equally lower prices in some markets if we feel like it's revenue creative and it's going to lead to improvement in payer penetration. So, you, you know, you'll see that in, you know, some international markets, especially as we, as we see a lot of those markets come to scale, we actually drop prices because that really allows us to get more payers uh, into, the, into the ecosystem, and that's ultimately uh, the, the better outcome for us as a company. And when we think about pricing, we, we are, you know, we do extensive testing around what this price elasticity look like in different geographic markets around the world. And as we've said before, even in a country, 
different cities behave very differently, so we make sure that all of that is sort of taken into account. Um, and we know that, you know, there are, you know, cohorts of people that are comfortable paying higher price points for a service that, you know, helps them connect with the people that they want, right? And so um, you heard Whitney talk about the, the higher price tier. All of the thinking is really coming around, again, are we offering the right value for our users? Going to your question about net ads, um, you know, we've, we've been very pleased with, with our uh, pair performance all through the year. Our top of the funnel has been very strong. Um, we've been optimizing really well, and that's led to higher payer penetration. So that's, you know, one of the reasons why we have confidence in our net ads numbers. Uh, I made the point, you know, about how our international markets are doing well, um, and so we are definitely seeing strong payer growth come out of that. And you know, the last thing I would point to is, and I, I alluded to this briefly in my in my prior remarks, as some of these newer features are landing, we are really starting to get a better sense for whether these are our people drivers or pair conversion drivers. And um, that's, again, you know, we are seeing strength in some of these uh, towards towards pairs, and that's why we feel very, very comfortable about raising our net ads guide uh, to the numbers that we, that we just put out. Our next question will come from the line of Andrew Maroc with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my questions. Um, on Badoo, we're, we're seeing some encouraging signs there. I know in the past these markets have been more subject to impacts from COVID and economic disruptions. What do you think we need to see in terms of the combination of overall market conditions and product to get back on a sustainable growth trajectory? Hey, Andrew, it's Tarek. Uh, I'll, I'll start with that and with, may, may chime in as well. I think, you know, with Badoo, you're right, there's been a lot of macro effects that have hit um, Badoo over the years, um, both geopolitical and macro effects. I think one of the things that we have learned um, is that the, the part of Badoo that is resonating really well in this post-pandemic environment is the instant experience, the fact that you have to wait less to connect with someone, the fact that there's more um, immediacy to that experience. And that, we think, is what is driving the, the top of funnel uh, results that we're seeing. So this is not just a story here of uh, we're getting better at pricing or anything like that here. I think one of the key you know, indicators that we look at internally is are we actually seeing stronger top of funnel? Are we seeing stronger user engagement? And then, of course, are we able to monetize it? And so I think that um, we, we feel very good about how the product has evolved to really focus on the, the, that immediacy element. The brand refresh that Whitney mentioned that we're talking about will kind of, without, this won't be a huge marketing campaign per se, but it'll start to just emphasize those points more and more. And we think that that will continue to show um, pretty broad-based top of funnel um, impact for us, which we're very good at converting. Great, thank you. And then a, a quick follow-up, if I could. Um, from some of the work that you've done and uh, your surveys of users, et cetera, do you have a view on which of the lower-priced or the higher-priced tier could be bigger from a revenue perspective? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's you know, too early to sort of quantify the impact of some of these things. I think, you know, what I would just say is we have a pretty large user base of people that are using our product and a small portion of them pay for our product, right? So this is really a mechanism for us to provide features for 
the spectrum of users that are already on our product and then, um, you know, create value for them, right? So that's really how I would think about it. And then, you know, there are a lot of people that may not be using dating apps today, but they really want to date. And so this is also a mechanism for us to get more people into the dating ecosystem as a whole. So we're very excited about what this means for us. Obviously, you know, we'll, we, we still have a little bit of work to do, and we'll, we'll provide more updates uh, by the end of the year. Yeah, I would just add one thing, uh, that our brand is so uniquely positioned for this <clears throat> higher and, and lower tier offering. We have so many people that come to us and say, we want to use Bumble, but we want something more premium, more curated. We would be on this. We would pay more. And we're not just talking a handful. So we really feel that there's a huge opportunity to really cater to the folks that are looking for something much more premium than what, what we can offer today. Your next question comes from the line of Ben Black with Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Jeff on for Ben. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the international launches are scaling? Um, are any of the, your competitors' marketing efforts, um, such as Inge, having any discernible impact on Bumble's growth internationally? Um, also, can you give us just a little more sense of the product roadmap over the next 60 months? I, I know you talked about higher price tier being launched later this year, but any more color on what we should be focusing on uh, over the next 6 to 12 months would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, growth in our international markets really for Bumble continues to be a strong source, source of strength for us. So we're seeing not only um, this in download data, but also in Mao and payer growth. Um, we continue to see really positive absolute downloads in markets like Germany, where we've maintained our number two spot. So in Q2, we also successfully expanded our marketing efforts and our launches in some newer markets like Italy and Portugal, which really continued our European expansion following our Spain launch last year. And our recent launches in places um, like Chile, Argentina, Colombia, you know, throughout Latin America, these are also really continuing to gain traction. Um, and so some of these markets such as, you know, France and Germany, they have become more competitive due to these elevated marketing spends from some industry players, but we're very pleased with our overall performance and, and candidly the loyalty we're seeing from, from women and, and Gen Z in particular. Product oh, product roadmap, yeah. So turning to the product roadmap, I, I, here's how I would think about the product roadmap. I'd really categorize it in, in, in three buckets. The, the first bucket is making what's already working well work even better. So a really, you know, strict focus um, and, and dedication to optimization. And then on the flip side of that within the same first bucket is what might be causing some stress or some pain points for our customers, right? We're, we're very obsessed with the customer. Um, really optimizing uh, to, to make those better. So the first bucket is really taking what, what we've got and, and improving. The second one is innovation. Innovation is going to be uh, heavily driven not just by um, AI from a machine learning standpoint, but from generative AI as well. So we're really excited thematically about what we have in the pipeline from an innovative standpoint. I think what you've seen over the last, call it 10 years, and in my case, you know, longer than that, I've been in this industry now since 2012, um, we haven't seen anything really transformational 
um, as it pertains to the, the, the cell phone um, era of dating. And so we're really excited about how we can really take this, you know, product that works extraordinarily well, but take it to the next level and make it even more native and more compelling for today's modern data. So innovation is going to be deeply driven by um, a lot of focus with, with generative AI. We, you know, we went into a bit of that on the call. And then the third bucket is building out that monetization um, platform. So we've talked a lot about this already on the call, but really looking at the audience at large and being very granular, delivering an experience that really pertains to their wants, their needs, and their willingness to pay. So making sure we're not leaving money on the table for these payers that might not be paying currently, but it's also a huge growth driver because there are, you know, billions. I, we, we don't have a you know, specific number, but there are so many singles around the world that are not online yet. Uh, so we do see that, that, you know, this is an opportunity to um, do that. So, yeah, the first is optimization, innovation, and monetization. That's how you should think about the product strategy moving forward. Your next question comes from the line of John Blackledge with TD Cowan. Please go ahead. Hi there, it's Logan on for John. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, first question on AI and some of these Gen AI features. Do you plan to monetize some of these tools going forward here? Will they be more focused on um, just the broader user experience? And then um, secondly, just on capital allocation, could you discuss the buyback levels in 2Q and then how we should think about those um, looking forward to the back half of the year? Thanks. Yeah, Th thanks for the questions. I'll take the first one. So I, I just want to kind of set the stage on AI for a second and, and say, you know, even though this is a big trend that we're hearing about everywhere, Bumble has been leveraging AI into our products for years across not just our recommendation engine, but our safety and our content moderation efforts and so much more. But as these new tools, protect, you know, particularly this generative AI front, um, have come forward, we're really excited about how they can actually be integrated into the business, uh, not just from a product standpoint, but really across you know, everything top to bottom in the company. If you do just look at the user journey, um, we look at an opportunity that can be both freemium but also part of um, subscription bundles, right? So as we go higher tier, AI can be a big part of those offerings and candidly on the, the lower price offerings as well. Just a few random um, applications that I can pull top of mind right now for you to, to start thinking about. You know, how do we further leverage AI-generated compatibility, right, in the encounter profiles? How do we really look at AI-generated support on writing good bios and choosing the best photos and really getting good feedback on, on you know, this connections journey? Um, first moves, right? Huge opportunity in first moves and really driving engagement all through the funnel. Um, so that, that, that's the way I would think about it um, at this time. Yeah, and just quickly on capital allocation, I think, you know, we, we've sort of consistently said this before, we have a uh, capital allocation strategy that takes into account um, what we are doing from an organic growth, growth perspective, um, you know, what is, our, what is our plan around our future sort of M&A strategy, and then, you know, we are in the fortunate position of being able to return uh, capital back to our shareholders, and that's what you saw us do in Q2. Uh, you know, these are decisions that we make um, on a on a you know daily basis as as you know we operate our business. So nothing really to call out yet. Obviously, we'll we'll keep you posted every quarter in terms of what that means. 
Your next question comes from the line of Mark Kelly with Steeple. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I was hoping you could touch on back to school a little bit. Um, if I remember correctly, I think some of the product and marketing decisions uh, from last year were kind of moved from Q3 to Q4 based on some of the feedback from your campus uh, ambassadors. Is that something we can expect again this year, more of like a, a Q4 uh, event, if you will? And then second, not to keep talking about uh, generative AI, but uh, curious if, you know, we can expect that to be uh, – to impact margins or – you know, just kind of listening to your last answer, maybe it's margin uh, neutral. Any color there would be great. Thank you. Hey, yeah, I'll I'll start with back to school, and then I'm sure you will uh, talk about the margin impact of Gen AI. Um, so, you know, we we are paying a lot of attention to the kind of seasonality patterns that you see post COVID. One of the things in 2021, a lot of people, even though they were back in school, they weren't really in school. They weren't able to socialize. They weren't able to to do the things that people normally do when they first show up on a college campus. We are, uh, we saw that change last year, and that was some of the feedback that we got. We are expecting the same here, that when when you first show up on campus, your priority is meeting your new roommate and figuring out who do you want to date who happens to live in the same dorm as you and things like that. And so from a marketing and a product launch um, standpoint, anything specifically targeting the um, that college community, we would not look to do in the first week or two or three of a new school year. It's not to say it'll be delayed months, but you know we're we're just trying to be very thoughtful about the timing. And I think given most uh, back to school timings this year, that would be you know late September, October, similar to what happened last year. So so we're expecting that it's really a reflection we think of the sort of revised or you know back to normal um, seasonality trends that that we're seeing. Yeah, and just quickly on your uh, question around impact of Gen AI on margins, I think, you know, obviously we're very excited about what this means from a consumer and user experience perspective. So, um, that, you know, that's definitely an area that we are exploring um, quite uh, strongly. But equally, you know, on the operations side, and I'm talking more internal operations, you know, Gen AI has tremendous use cases in terms of being able to improve efficiencies, productivity, et cetera, et cetera. So those are all areas that we are definitely exploring. I think they are early days in terms of, you know, what areas you're talking about. Um, in the area of software development, obviously that's one that, that has the most uh, amount of thought that people have already put into it, so our teams are taking a close look at how they can take some of those use cases and apply it. But there are, you know, lots of other areas um, you know, whether it's marketing, whether it's, you know, the creative side, things like that where Gen AI can be a huge sort of improvement in productivity uh, and efficiency, which obviously hopefully will also have an impact on bottom line. Again, I think it's too early to to sort of call out exactly what that means in terms of margins, but it's, you know, definitely an area that we're exploring. Your final question will come from the line of Lauren Shank with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hey, this is Nathan Featheron for Lauren. Um, just two quick ones for me. Um, first, for Bumble App, how should we think about the balance of payer and RPP growth as we exit the year and, and understanding it's early, how that trends, you think, in, in fiscal 24? And then more broadly, you know, for singles that haven't tried online dating before, what do you think are the, the key unlocks you're working towards that could bring more of those people into the funnel to Bumble? Thank you. Oh, yeah, sure. So I'll start with the... The, the second question, thank you. I think it's a, it's a handful of things. Number one, 
is really being able to deliver something that they feel has the same intention as them. So there's a lot of people that have not tried online dating because they have an idea about it that it might be too casual or it might be, um, you know, something that won't actually deliver them a real relationship. So I think really the way we're approaching this is going through really methodically with focus groups of folks who do not use dating apps but are very single and understanding what are the biggest pain points, what are the things keeping them off of the app. And then this is exactly how we're backing into our new product offerings. This is exactly how we are determining not only the product that we're going to be releasing into the world, but what is the marketing strategy and how are we going to actually capture this, Tam? The second thing is, you know, really trust, safety, discretion. We rank very high on this. I think in the category, we have made this, um, you know, our front and center focus from day one. That is what I built the original, you know, kind of founding and mission of this business on is a safer, more trusted experience, but really being able to um, improve upon that from a product standpoint in these offerings. So these are just a couple examples, but I will say it's quite fascinating when you do look at the single market. When you extrapolate who's actually on a dating app, it's really quite low. And so the great news here is there's a lot of Tam out there. There's a lot of folks to bring on. The last comment here before I turn to Anu is this hybrid of IRL and online. So what we have seen is there is some type of a mental block for some folks that they don't want to say or they don't want to kind of admit to that they have met someone online. And so we have been so focused on a lot of this IRL effort through our marketing where you kind of start offline at one of our events and then you come online. And so really taking a hybrid approach has been um, very important to us. So what I would leave you with is we are very focused on this. We solve problems and stay tuned. Yeah, and Nathan, just quickly to talk about the sort of payer and our people cadence. Obviously, we've given the guidance um, for Q3 net ads between, you know, 140 and 150. Um, you can extrapolate what that means in terms of Q4. We, we see a seasonal dip in Q4 usually, so you'll, you'll see that um, similar to what we've seen in the, in the prior quarters. Um, and then from an our people perspective, if you remember when we started the year, we said that we expect our people to be flat to slightly negative. I think, you know, our, our revenue for, you know, uh, outlook hasn't changed since the beginning of the year, and so we are still pretty much tracking to that. So probably, you know, negative 1% to 2% in terms of our people is likely where we will end up for the year. Um, that's how we're thinking about it. And this concludes today's conference call, and we thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.